0: Girls5eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for outstanding comedy series and all other eligible categories.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 12th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I'm very excited to be joined on this episode by three of the people most responsible for the Brian Wilson biopic, maybe that's the right word, I'm not sure, Love and Mercy is the name of the movie, it came out earlier this year, it was very well received critically, did pretty well commercially, and is now on its way to possibly factoring in to a very competitive awards race, I think it deserves to be there, particularly for the performances given by Paul Dano as the young Brian Wilson, the other half of the movie is also about Brian Wilson later in his life, and then in that other half, the performance given by Elizabeth Banks as the woman who sort of helps brian wilson out of trouble and helps him to come back to life in a way and so they're terrific and i think the movie's terrific and you can't entirely rule out the possibility that it might register in the best picture category which would be very gratifying to its director bill polad so it's great to have with us today bill polad paul dano and elizabeth banks but before we get into that conversation let's talk about some of what's going on in the awards world as we head into the last weekend before the thanksgiving break Now, The Revenant and Joy and Star Wars The Force Awakens are the only movies with plausible awards hopes that haven't yet been seen by most people who cover this, including me. And so I anxiously look forward to seeing those. I'm told we'll be having those opportunities very soon. Um, But in the meantime... Uh, Campaigning for the other movies goes on aggressively. You've got Eddie Redmayne coming back to town along with Alicia Vikander to campaign for *The Danish Girl*. Additionally, you've got everyone else out on the trail. You've got Benicio del Toro and the Sicario team seemingly everywhere. The Suffragette crew, particularly Carrie Mulligan, and uh, a lot of these people who are thought to be on the bubble in a year without a front runner, who are not going to leave any stone unturned, and so they are they are out and doing everything they can to kind of emerge from the pack. This weekend, the only major Oscar hopeful debuting at the box office is Carol, which is going to have a hard time, like a lot of movies, opening up against The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. The Jennifer Lawrence machine and that franchise, it's going to be very tough to compete with that. So good luck to Carol, Legend, and The Secret in their eyes. Uh, But when we come back, we will start to see more and more of the bigger contenders Uh, of this year opening up in theaters and hoping to find an audience before the Star Wars juggernaut comes along and just takes over everything. So in the meantime, it may not be a bad thing to be a movie that came out earlier in the year and found its audience already. There's no question mark about that for Love and Mercy. uh, It's not necessarily a big audience, but it's the audience that you need if you want to show up at the Academy. It plays right into the wheelhouse of Academy members, many of whom came of age with this music and still adore brian wilson who we should note has an original song one kind of love in the movie and so i think it's a movie that we're going to be hearing more and more about in the coming days and weeks and uh why not start right here with this conversation so without further ado let's go to the chat that i had with bill polad paul dano and elizabeth banks Thank you guys all for coming in, and obviously we going to focus mainly on the movie, but first just want to give a little bit of uh, background about each of you before we focus specifically on this latest project. So, Bill, to begin with, I don't know that many people know that this isn't the first time you've directed. In fact, it's like the 25th anniversary, I think, of the first time most people know you as the producer of so many great movies, Brokeback Mountain, Into the Wild, 12 Years a Slave, Tree of Life, on and on and on. Why has it been so long since you last directed um, I don't know. Just ha- life happened that
2: way. It happened that way. No, seriously. I started off as a writer director, um, but uh, ended up doing a lot of um, documentary and, and commercial work out of Minneapolis because I didn't really want to move. Um, but that uh, for like ten years, and then I decided I needed to get back to the feature world. So I kind of put the directing thing aside and, and focused on producing because i I'd never liked that image of the producer who wants to be the director, so I just kept it all quiet until um, more recently when I felt a little more like we had established ourselves enough to
0: start coming out in the other way. And we as River Road Entertainment, yeah, Mm -hmm. which has been, it's also been been just 87, I think you guys found it, and just uh, could you ever ever have imagined that it would take on the life that it has where, you know, right up to uh, Best Picture Oscar winners, it's pretty... Pretty yeah, terrific, it's been
2: great, really yeah. great, you know. Um, but I got to say that, as fulfilling as all that has been mm-hmm. and exciting, um, this is you know really a super high point. The directing, for me. Yeah. yeah.
0: Back yeah. back to directing with this. Um, and Paul, you had previously worked on a movie produced by Bill, so mm-hmm. uh, named Twelve Years a Slave, mm-hmm. and uh, among many others. I think one of the things that I notice when I look at your filmography is just like it's not that it's uh super long but every one of them is a quality movie little miss sunshine there will be blood 12 years of slave and many others in between and i just wonder uh as i think many other people will do what's the secret to uh picking roles for you because it's rarely miss. you rarely miss um well thanks (laughs) um uh
3: I don't know. It's you know, it, it honestly changes as my life changes. Um, you, you know, I can't I can't say I've never been able to say sort of like what I'm looking for, and I'm also just not in control of that. So, my favorite feeling is to read something and be surprised by it. Um, uh, I definitely value the um, directors that I work with. I feel you know they are the final author of the film, so it, it means a lot to me. Um, to be working with somebody that I trust, because I, I feel like that allows me to uh, throw myself in you, you know, as, as deep and, and best as I can. So I think a lot of it is having a touch of patience and hoping that something will come through uh, with a, a good script and, and a good filmmaker.
0: And Elizabeth, uh, many people know you for hilarious movies, very many hilarious movies, and you've said, uh, quote people don't think I have any range close quote but I've seen I've seen sea biscuit I've seen love you did this was just a couple <laughs> days ago and you said it actually to mr. Uh, mr. Jeff Wells oh. and uh, I thought I was surprised to hear that because if they, that means they haven't seen lovely still people like us um, and any number of others and I just wonder for you was comedy something that you sought out uh, as a, as something to do a lot or is it sort of just the way it often works here in Hollywood that for many, you know, when you do something well, people uh, kind of have a hard time seeing you doing other things.
1: I think it's a little of a little of that. You know, I started, the first big movie that I got noticed in in Hollywood was Seabiscuit, which was a very dramatic movie. It was nominated for many Oscars. And and after making that movie, I made some other dramatic movies and worked with some really interesting people. And, um, and it was really auditioning for the 40-year-old virgin that sort of reignited people's interest in me in comedy but really what it is I think that people who watch dramas think I'm a dramatic actress and people who watch comedies <laughs> think I'm a comedic actress right. and they just they don't that's not a big crossover audience that's right.
0: <laughs> and do you personally have a like when you were starting out acting uh, did you feel you had a personal inclination to one
1: or the other? Uh, Well, I'm more fascinated by comedy. I think it's a lot harder, actually, and um, it gets, you know, it gets the short shrift when we're talking about um, movies, and, you know, it's really, really hard to make people consistently laugh for 90 minutes to two hours and charm them. I think that, you know, there was so much wit and charm in so many early movies that Hollywood made, and you know, we have this real, um, we're really enamored with these very dramatic, serious things. And I'm just a, I'm personally, a, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm drawn to light, you know, I'm just more of a, I'm a lighter person inside of myself. And, um, and I, I love studying comedy, like, I really find it fascinating, sort of. The structure and of jokes and how to make and comedy has been changing in a really interesting ways since I came into the business and so it's just where uh, I just have a little passion for it
0: Yeah. Now, last thing before we turn to Love and Mercy, you have another big project this year, you've had another big project this year that has caused a lot of stir because unfortunately there aren't a lot of women directors and there aren't a lot of women directors uh, who, who get the opportunity to make big studio movies or who have had the success that you did with Pitch Perfect 2 and so um, first of all what do you did you expect that did you imagine that it could do as as well as it's done and uh, must be very gratifying and then also um, is the situation as you see it getting any better for uh, for women who want to direct
1: <laughs> well we could take up this whole yes. time with that question <laughs> so I won't I don't think we should do that yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really, I, I'm obviously very excited by how well Pitch Perfect Two did at the box office, and I'm really proud of the movie, and I'm 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 proud of, of what we of what we did and what I did, and um, I feel I feel a little bit like a disruptor um, in that way, and let's you know, here's to more. I hope more women um, take on the studio fair. You know, I really do. I hope that other women join join those ranks and, um, and make money for people.
0: So, Bill, uh, why is it that it's taken people decades? They've been mm-hmm. trying to do a, a Brian Wilson movie for decades. Why is it that it took this long to happen?
2: Well, it's honest, honestly a daunting prospect. Um, he's uh, had a very big life and obviously associated and is really the source of some incredible music that, a lot of us, if not all of us, you know, just part of our, you know, being, part of our growing up, and and remains part of our soundtrack, so to speak. So you know that in itself is is daunting. Um, but again, he had so many things going on in his life, and uh, very dramatic things, and, and to try to capture all that in a film is is a kind of a daunting challenge. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why it's been so difficult to kind of get
0: here. And as I understand when it was first (laughs) brought to you, you were not totally sure it was a doable thing, right? At first it needed to have a script that was uh, taking an an unconventional approach and so I think it was you that hired Aaron Moverman to to do that, right? With you.
2: Right, yeah. Just again, because he had such a big life and continues to um, it seemed foolhardy and, and and also creatively I'm not really interested in doing like a biopic or where you're just a slave to all the various beats of somebody's life no matter how dramatic or, or full it might be um, I would rather get to know the person more intimately and what that person is dealing with humanly than then, uh, all the rest of it so that's why it, it seemed like the old approach was not right and, and to try to find a different way of doing it and, and yet working, sitting down with Oren. Uh, we kind of riffed off that concept of doing something different, and you know, we borrowed a little bit from "I'm Not There," but not really. I mean, that really, not really, yeah, Oren yeah, was also involved in, but it it really wasn't front of mind. It was more like, how do we do this? And 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 just because we picked these two, they came very organically to do the Pet Sounds era and then the '80s. Um, they, if you look at Brian's life, to me, those are the two I was drawn to. Um, because of Pet Sounds in and of itself, and everything I knew about that, but also because of meeting Melinda and finding out how they met, and it just seemed like a nice way into the story to come at it from her point of view. So weaving those two together really was the,
0: I guess the, the idea. And Paul, when when did this first cross your radar, and when you learned that it would be two people playing Brian? Um, at different stages of his life, did that uh, excite you or frighten you, or what was what was your reaction to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it was evident the first time reading the script that that it that it should be two people. Um, I think uh, that's how this film would function best in in the sort of juxtaposition of you know the idea of seeing somebody um, peak creativity, you know, sort of the ecstasy of creation in the studio, and then cutting to. E- you know, an older somebody who's lost something, it, and, and i I think, leaning into that even further is having two separate actors play it. So hopefully, you know, it felt definitely like it could be a risk, but but also um, could pay off. Um, so yeah, I I mean, I read the script, I, I read it again, and listened to all the music cues in it. Started trying to read about Brian. I met with Bill um, a couple times, um, and. Um, For some reason, it took me a minute to to get truly excited. I think I was excited and scared. And then once I just gave in to it, um, it, you know, I was uh, off to the races. And and it's, you know, I had such a good time diving into it and dove into it right away. Uh, You know, even though we were a ways away from from making the film, just because the the material and the character um, were so beautiful uh, and so
0: rich. And, and Elizabeth, um, I remember from prior conversation that you were not immediately sold either because of a number of things, I guess partly. Well, let me ask you, what was your reaction when this first crossed your radar?
1: Well, I thought it was bold uh, and ambitious, and I think I just wasn't – I just wasn't convinced it would work totally <laughs> <laughs> um, and i think also you know i've just been in so many situations where i loved melinda i loved this character although i didn't totally understand her when i first read it you know um somebody who gets involved uh at that place in her life with someone with mental illness who had was struggling with with so many things and And it really wasn't until I investigated and really understood that this was like a lifelong love that they had. You know, they're still together. They have a big, beautiful life at the end of this. And that's what sort of pulled me through, was knowing where it went eventually, you know. That it really is this beautiful redemption story for both people. And I didn't want to play just a savior to him. And and I also... I've been in situations where, you know, I have a great conversation with the director who says, I really feel like this part of the story is, you know, being driven by by Melinda and, 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 you know, she's kind of like the heart of this part of the story. I've been in that situation where I felt like that was true and then we went to make the movie and the lead male of the movie ends up taking over. Really? <laughs> and I just didn't really trust that we were going to let Melinda carry that part of the film and um, and I was interested in that but I didn't want to be disappointed yeah. if it didn't work out and then bill convinced me
0: yeah <laughs> and bill one of the things that you know it's it's kind of ironic kind of funny but Brian is not the guy not a guy who loves the sound of his own voice he's a very uh, maybe singing wise he, he's happy with it but he doesn't have a lot to say otherwise uh, very very selective and I think that you guys honor that by having a lot of meaningful silences in the movie and when you're putting together a screenplay as you were with Aaron um was there pressure to not have that
2: No, not really because
0: it was you know, just us, you know. I guess more in the editing process, right? right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely in the editing process people would come in and the de- uh, scene in the car dealership where they're in the car together, it's kind of like hey, come on, we got to move this <laughs> along, you know. What's well, right. all what's with all this silence? But that really is what Brian that's what Brian is like, and right. I, although I wasn't there, I assume that's what that that first meeting <laughs> right. was like. And according to Melinda, right. that was part of the charm of, of Brian. Um,
0: Paul, one of the things that a lot of people will find interesting, I think, is that uh, there are there is quite a bit of your voice sprinkled throughout the movie. It's not just uh, cue the cue the track of Brian, and and that's why. Uh, uh, well, first of all, and. and I think it all sounds good, which is a testament to your singing abilities which i didn't i wasn't aware existed before this movie. Are you a musical guy and and how did you feel about having to bring your own voice to some of these songs um, yeah I mean
3: i i I think some of my first acting experiences were were musical theater mm-hmm. stuff, so I um, singing was a part of my life at one point. And I definitely went through the high school, college phase of being in bands and, you know, thinking that was uh, what I wanted to do or something, you know. Right. Um, and then kind of lost touch with it for a while. And, and this, um, y- you know, luckily Bill trusted me to hopefully, you know, sing in the film. And, and, and we did. But but kind of um, uh, I found... Like so much pleasure in, in learning to sing again and learning to play the piano and and I was constantly, it was something that a lot of people said about Brian when I talked to them was about sort of, sort of like a childlike spirit he has and I was really curious what that is because it's kind of, if somebody uses the word innocence it's too vague to play mm-hmm. so it's like okay what is that, you know I was trying to figure out what that was um, and part of it is I just don't think he built up the layers most of us do to become an adult but I found singing every day for six months or whatever reminded me of being a kid. Mm-hmm. Like kids sing like all the time, mm-hmm. like in the backseat of a car, just like walking around the house or a little dude. And it really um, gave me like a lot of joy um, just to, to be singing. And I think I would have done it even if I wasn't going to in the film because mm-hmm. I think it's the way into, into Brian. You know, he is his music. So to really be as in deeply in touch with the music listening to the sessions but also playing it and singing it I think was uh,
0: you, you know the most important part of the process for me It's very interesting and and the way and some of the places people should look if they do want to identify on their DVD player or whatever this is Paul singing can uh, C- give us a give us a few
3: yeah. So there's a couple. God only knows. Yeah. And surfs up. I played the piano and right. sang, and we just did that live, and and it was uh, so fun. I could have filmed that for days, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that and was actually
2: like the second day of shooting. <laughs> Paul like comes into a new situation, yeah. New crew and everything. and We all sit down in the studio, and Paul has to sit and play surfs up on the piano, by himself, <laughs> like with everybody around for whatever it was. It must have been three hours or something like that. And the dailies the next day, we had the whole crew, and they all just sat silently in rapture as Paul saying this for like forty five minutes wow. of the cut footage. It was wow. amazing.
3: Yeah, that was a pat. That was like a. It was a pre production day. It wasn't even principal photography mm-hmm. yet, and that was like you know it is a feeling of like okay if I can do this like we're gonna like okay we're really gonna hit it we're gonna hit it next week it's gonna you know but it does feel it, that was
0: yeah that was fun that was wow. great yeah well um, if that. May have been somewhat daunting, I would imagine, for for you, Paul, to have to, you know, to do, you know, a lot of work went into it. I wonder for for you, Elizabeth if the maybe an equivalent kind of thing was that you were going to have to sell the audience in that Cadillac dealership scene um, on the idea that this woman who has, you know, who's who's meeting this this guy who's a little different uh, does not find him creepy or turned off or whatever, but is actually really drawn to him, uh, which I think could easily, if that didn't work, the movie doesn't work. And so um, how was that approached by you and how was and and um, you know, how did it feel to have to, you know, on that day?
1: Well, I you know, I think it's so interesting that you say all of that because I felt that pressure <laughs> when I read it. It was like, I gotta, I don't know, I gotta think about some really big this is a big deal, this, this moment. And, and it was really in a conversation with Melinda, you know, when I said, you know, what was going through your mind when you met him? And, you know, did you, it's not love at first sight, obviously, but I mean, you know, you're intrigued that, and she was just like, it was pheromones. Like, I met someone who I kind of (laughs) thought, like, he he kind of tickled my insides. And, and it was the simplicity of, right, this is one step at a time. I don't need to sell their entire relationship in that dealership. Mm -hmm. I just need to take the first step so that you believe she goes on the next step, right? So that when the phone rings, there was enough charm and interest in what had already occurred that you believe she goes and sees him again. And it was that sort of backing off the really big idea of their life and the pressure of the movie and what's and just really being present Mm -hmm. in that car and being really present with john and getting to know who that person is and then i i feel so grateful that in the edit they didn't chop it up and you Mm. really just sit there with them in that car and (laughs) you know sort of live live in those that interest you know of two people who just maybe want to spend a few more minutes together
0: And maybe part of the reason that it feels so real and believable in addition to all of that is that I understand that, Bill, you allowed for a certain degree of improv and that, Elizabeth, you ran with that. And, I mean, the one that – the the little moment that has been getting a lot of discussion – been at the center of a lot of discussion is even just the kind of like – Okay, or whatever you know. Let it. Maybe you can. For people who have, it's been a few months since they saw it. Can you take us back to just that decision, where it's up to you do something with this, and that's what you decided to do?
1: I mean, I honestly was just in the mo- in the <laughs> moment, you yeah. know. And um, as I was saying, you know, Cusack, he was, you know, he was he was also so present. And there's a lot going on, and. And that's a very windy road that he is on in that scene, you know, and and, that, and that's sort of Brian, you don't never really know, he's very honest and open, but you never really know, I mean, anything could come out of him, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so it really was just about keeping, you know, we do this over and over and over and over and over and over again on the day of the shoot, and so for me, sometimes a little improv is just to keep it fresh so I don't feel like I'm repeating myself, and um and that that I, I mouth okay after you know I think when he's telling me that his that his brother died and um, in the car and uh, because it's such a right turn you know mm-hmm. it's out of nowhere um, and I felt like I needed to fill that moment for a second mm-hmm. um, but I also didn't want to throw John off like I didn't want to actually say I didn't want to actually improv with him yeah. because he's deep in his own thing right. and so sometimes there's just that's the kindness that we actors are sometimes showing each other that's what Melinda was showing him in that moment so I was just trying to be gentle with him but also be like a real person who's meeting somebody who seems a little crazy
0: (laughs) right
2: um that is also the magic in the edit room when you have an actress or actors like these kind of and so many great options to work with and just that one okay there was a lot of Great reads of it, but that one that ended up in the film was just kind of I guess they say gold yeah. but you see that.
0: In, so, so <laughs> that's true so. well um you you've all referenced Brian and Melinda the actual Brian and Melinda, and so I want to just uh clarify um, a would this movie have been made if they <clears throat> were not not fully on board with with uh, it because or you know basically how important was it to you that they be you know, fully supportive of what you were doing, and B, um, knowing that they were, what was their involvement with you, Bill, with and with, with Paul and Elizabeth, uh, as far as their accessibility for you? Well, it was very
2: important, for sure. I mean, on the other hand, as we talked with Brian and Melinda from the beginning, you know, it can't be so important that you're just going to kind of make a sugar-coated kind of version of their life. And they were never... They were never pushing for that. They were incredibly great about this film. We talked about it from the beginning, and they they followed through on it, that they were not afraid of anything. They never asked us to leave this out or cut that out or something like that. They were, I mean, Brian is like an egoless guy. He's just like, whatever, he'd just rather be at the piano making music, and he's like, trust you guys, very kind of uh, childlike trust and and innocence about it. Obviously, I think if we went off in some horrible direction, he would have... (laughs) you know, stepped in at some point, but he was very trusting and and great about it. And Melinda, too, who was more verbal and more present, like, literally on a day-to-day basis, she wasn't all over us. She would just sit back very quietly and let it happen. She was there for Elizabeth and and all of us to kind of draw on, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't like, do it this way or I'm funnier than that or something
0: (laughs) like that. So, Paul, when when did you first meet Brian, and um, did it change anything for you about how you were going about things?
3: Yeah, I didn't want to meet Brian right away. Um, You know, I knew he was different in the 60s than than he is now. And I also felt like he was such an open vessel of a person, really vulnerable. And I thought that that openness is what uh, brought him to to what he was hearing. You know, know, in the music, he was really open to receiving his unconscious and and what was inside of him and what's out there. But I think it's what also... uh, made the world hard you know you're more susceptible to 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 the pain um, so it was important for me to spend some time just trying to get in touch with that um, and uh, my first encounter with Brian was actually his piano player came to New York to work with me and then he kind of said, okay I want to record something and send it to Brian and, and I was kind of afraid to say no because I wanted to be on like good terms with the <laughs> piano player but I was also like I don't know if we should be sending Brian me singing yet. Mm-hmm. And they called right away once they heard it and were, like, super happy. And that was, that kind of really set me free in a way almost, you know. And then I met Brian, um, and, you know, I think everybody feels this way, but he's really um, got a presence and a spirit. Uh, And um, I think just the, the most important thing was being in a room with him and, and letting him know who I was and, and just being present with him. I didn't I didn't grill him about every nitty-gritty detail. You know, I didn't need to at that point. I, I felt I knew, you know, um, certain things. And um, so it was just really touching base with the, with his spirit, yeah.
0: And Elizabeth, Melinda sort of, uh, in some ways, like his ambassador to the world, right? I mean, she's a spokesperson, bodyguard, everything you could imagine from what I've seen with the two of them. Um, so what did you take away from interacting with her?
1: Yeah, that fierce, there's something very fierce about her. Um, you know, she does seem very protective of him sort of out in the world, although, you know, he's out on tour and she's busy taking care of their five adopted children and 12 adopted dogs. And, (laughs) you know, that she's very busy sort of keep, you know, building their life as a lot of women do, you know, whose husbands go out on the road. Uh, so she's kind of really normal in that way and I think that it was it's actually the normalcy and the sort of intimacy that they clearly have with each other you know she just understands him in a really deep beautiful way and um I think you know she never shied away it's like no one's there was no cure for Brian or there's no cure in this movie there's just love and understanding and mercy and and kindness and generosity of spirits and things, you know, things that we all hope for and want. And that's all she, she that's what she gave Brian. I mean, you know, he just but he's mentally ill, and and she makes sure that he gets to get out on the road and do what he loves, which is play music. And that's that's she takes that very very seriously.
0: Um, Bill, the one of the decisions that you made, and I think in in discussion with both Paul and John uh was that they would not have interaction there wouldn't be coordination between for for reasons that do make a lot of sense from what I you know understand these guys were at totally different stages of their lives and I'm not sure that it would have been helpful to do that but um was that always I mean how did you decide to take that approach and Paul did you feel you know was there any desire for pushback on that
2: I mean, it was a progressive thing. First, you know, again, you decide that you're just going to really address these two parts of his life to paint the portrait of the whole. And so once we had that going and you start looking the way the script's coming together, you start pushing it a little more like, well, what if it was just it was two different actors as opposed to one? I mean, there were practical excuses for why we did it, like makeup and, you know, could we pull that off? But that really wasn't it. It was really the creative part, the, that it was more reflective of who Brian is as a whole being, what his whole life was like, and that, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, different people. You look at pictures of Brian in the two areas, that he's a very different person. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed more exciting, more um, interesting to have then carry that on and have these two actors not coordinate, find their own Brian kind of more... Organically, so to speak, where they kind of do their own thing as opposed to getting together and going, how about we do this or that, or you know, and they really did. They both had their particular way of doing it. You know, John spent more time with Brian um, before shooting and got to know kind of how he moved and how he thought and all that. Whereas with Paul, it was a different approach, um, and I think that was all like exciting for me and just the way I think we all wanted it to be. We didn't know until the very end it was actually going to work, but <laughs> but uh, it thankfully it
0: did. And, and was the movie actually shot in halves? Like, was the Paul half shot before the uh, John half, or how did yeah. that? Was no- normally in movies? I think it's just all over the place. So
2: no, we shot it um, uh, with all of the '60s stuff, all mm-hmm. Paul stuff first, which mm-hmm. was great. And I mean, it helped everybody kind of move through the thing. Uh, Chronologically, or whatever, and then to kind of move on to the second part of the story, we already had that kind of in the bank, not just film-wise, but spiritually or yeah. psychic, you know, yeah. whatever we knew
0: where it was coming from. Yeah, and uh, Paul, one of the things that I've mentioned before, and I feel bad repeating myself here, but I think that the scenes that in some ways I found most exciting in this movie were the ones where um, we're just seeing you as brian creating and because we know all this, we all know these great songs and but to see um see them coming together in a very authentic documentary style setting which I, I think was what bill was going for um it's that's where you feel like this is where the magic is and um i wonder you know just what again they looked like a documentary feel how'd you guys go about shooting it and and in fact who were the other people in the scene with you?
3: Yeah, this was so much fun. I mean, this was our first two weeks of the shoot, I believe, almost two weeks, and we were in the studio that Brian actually recorded Pet Sounds in back in 65. Um, and, uh, you know, Bill really set us up for success on that. He got real musicians to come in and play the Wrecking Crew, some of who play with Brian or have worked with Brian. They all revere him. They're all super excited to be there. They're, they're not actors, but these guys can play. mm mm-hmm. um, And when you walk into that room and you hear somebody playing the clarinet or you hear somebody on the timpanis, I mean, it's like really exciting. (laughs) It's really exciting that it's not playback and that those guys are like tuning up and jamming out. Um, So, you know, the the, the, the script was great, but we had access to sort of a lot of uh, vault stuff and hearing Brian work with the musicians and... And, and Bill had two 16mm cameras and, and would also let us kind of, you know, mess around, um, whether it was working with musicians individually or a group of them and going, running back and forth between the control booth and out there. And um, it was really fun to get lost in. And also you didn't feel the cameras. It didn't feel like a film, you know, when these guys were playing and weirdly because they looked up to Brian so much I think they really liked me like like they were like
1: (laughs) transitive property well
3: yeah I think so I think they were like they wanted me to tell them what to do like so I was like okay you know and so there was just like a really really good vibe uh and it was um
0: it was really fun uh I want to bring up Paul Giamatti because this year he has sort of cornered the market on like douchebag music guys between this and straight, straight out of Compton uh, he's great in both and uh, you're seeing Elizabeth with him in the dealership where he's going to get served and we're assuming if people oh. have come this far in the podcast they probably already, <laughs> so, spoiler alert um, but uh, that one is also very interesting and from what I've read you guys tried a few different things there because um, you know, in a way it's sort of like pulling back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz, right? This guy's not not as tough as he as That's his right. bark. Yeah,
1: yeah. He has yeah, it's all it's right. He 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 had power because Brian didn't stand up for himself in the way that um, he probably wanted to and Melinda did. And um Yeah, it was really interesting. It was a long conversation about whether to open the door or not open the door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you guys try both ways?
1: We did, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And why did you decide to go the way you went?
1: Why did you decide? I well, think just it's seemed, the right decision. You know, more either. true to the
2: character yeah. and,
1: and, well,
2: to the situation as a whole. I mean, that's not who Melinda was. She chose literally to be behind this locked door and the shades down. That's how it really happened but her fire was always there and that, you know, we had to have them be able to face off in some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And right. it, it was, you know, and again, the way both Paul and Elizabeth handled it, because it was kind of spontaneous at that time. Yeah. And by the way, this was like the second day of shooting. Right? I know. Really? <laughs> like Paul, like one of Paul's first scenes and he goes into that tirade at the door. It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. out of the, the box. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah, yep. great.
0: Yeah. Um. Another thing that I got to ask you about, Bill, is this soundscape. the soundscape—the the sense that from the very beginning, I think, really, the opening moments of the movie, you start hearing these little fragments of—you're not sure what at first. I think music and then words. And um, was was the objective here to kind of put you inside the mind of somebody like Brian, who's got at literally voices in in his head?
2: Yeah, that was definitely. The goal. It was a challenge, obviously. I had to get to know what Brian actually experiences, and he has schizoaffective disorder. But his version of it, he hears voices, for sure, and he doesn't actually experience visual hallucinations. But he'll have auditory hallucinations, and it was both voices and that kind of the original understanding that I got getting to know him and Melinda was that he hears these incredible harmonies and orchestrations and things in his head, uh, and that's his genius, but he can't really turn them off all the time, mm-hmm. so it's like, you mm-hmm. know, it's part of the the madness as right. well. So I wanted to somehow get into his head, uh, you know, cinematically, of course, you're always going to want to have there be some visual, visual hallucination thing going on, but that uh, the statement at the very beginning of the movie where it's like just a black screen, basically, and you're hearing all of this, Going on, that's what our version was mm-hmm. of what Brian hears in his head, and you know I give so much credit to Atticus. That was one of the first things we were going for. Was you know going off of Revolution number no. nine on the Beatles' White Album mm-hmm. was our k-
0: template, and then you know we kind of built it from there. And Atticus is Atticus Ross from people. I think he went back to Bag Oscar Social now again. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. How did do you guys have a um, a history of working together? How did how did it come to
2: that he was the guy on this one no we just I you know there was a lot of people who wanted to be involved in the movie honestly because mm-hmm. there's a lot of Brian Wilson fans yeah. out there particularly in the music business and I talked to a lot of people and but sometimes it was almost like they were too close to it to be able to really do it they wanted to do you know a soundtrack that was like a tribute to Brian their own version of or something like that and that, that was never going to work out and Atticus I mean I sat with Atticus the first time at breakfast and he got both the the concept of the soundscapes as well as kind of talking about this idea of using Brian pieces of Brian's music to make mm-hmm. up the sound, the score as opposed to trying to create some competing score, so mm-hmm. I mean both those turned out so fantastically yeah. well, and he was a great partner in the film
0: so. um last two things are just first of all um the reactions to, that people have had to this movie, which I know uh you guys are i I've seen at, after screenings at events people are Um, kind of mob you about this movie and i I wonder if the type of feedback that you're getting is different from what you're accustomed to not that uh you don't get good feedback about most of your movies but just the the nature of it and so paul maybe you can kick it off with just you know it seems like there is a deeper than usual connection that people feel to this movie many people see it multiple times and just what are you hearing
3: yeah, that's so cool. Um, you know, when, when you hear something like that, it, it feels to me like people have a real experience watching it. I think people feel personally in touch with it, and and, and I pr- and I would I would guess for different reasons actually, just because I you know I hope that you know as as great as the music is, and and even though that's Brian, you know I think the human elements in the film hopefully are really strong, and and um, I also just feel like Brian has a lot to give. Um, And I wonder if that's a part of somebody, you you know, feeling something or seeing it. He sort of, you know, the idea of love and mercy itself, I think is really beautiful, especially when he went through so much um, uh, that that he wants to to give. You know, that's what that's what you need. Um, And he wanted to make music that could help people smile and heal, even though he went through a lot of tough stuff. So he's just a beautiful spirit. And I think. I think people feel that as well. I hope they do. Mm -hmm.
0: And Elizabeth, your sense, I think, uh, I've heard you talk about kindness is something that people are really unaccustomed, unfortunately, to seeing in movies. Mm -hmm. And um, what have you heard?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I'm really, I'm sort of bowled over at the end of this movie too, just me going through it. And, you know, there's something about the Beach Boys music that feels sort of interestingly simple like on a certain level and I think there's something about this movie and these relationships that feels simple but then when you there's so many layers and what I think this movie does so beautifully is it just builds layer after layer and, and creates this very sweet human person who is trapped and is not living free? And in he's not free in his mind. He's not free. He's literally caged, and and he is um, he is set free by the, end of the movie. I think we all we all know someone who's like that or has gone through that. And We all want that, and we all want to live free. And we we have all these cages around us all the time, whether we make them ourselves or they're put on us by. The people who tell us they love us mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and there's just something really to me relatable in that idea at the end of this movie.
0: And Bill for you I mean having been there um, before really I guess anyone on this movie to see that it's been so well received has got to be very gratifying and also um, make you want to direct again I would imagine.
2: Yeah no very much I mean yeah. again this is a really special movie and Yes, I'd like to direct again and, and all, but you know that this is something that's not going to happen all the time, just the way we all work together but and the way the movie kind of progressed. But underlying it all, what the story is and what we're hopefully trying to accomplish and what people are reacting to. I mean, again, it's the, the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson legacy is something to – pay tribute to no matter what and and hopefully the film helps that along but even more important it's the human side of it you know who he is as a person what he's gone through the mental health issues honestly mm-hmm. and and we've been really so when people come up i mean it feels uh, i'm always the paranoid director so i think they're just saying it because they're saying <laughs> it, you know, whatever but the people actually feel really genuine about it does feel very personal like they're somehow getting that human side of it it's not just the celebrity side mm-hmm. or, the, or the Beach Boys music side it's something about that human element that I think is connecting with people which is fantastic and all I can hope for
0: well the last question is just uh, everybody I think will be curious to know what actual Brian, actual Melinda um, thought of the movie so when did they first see it Bill and then uh, Paul and Elizabeth what have you heard from them about your, uh, your portrayals uh, well, I showed it to uh, Melinda first
2: in, you know, kind of a rough cut form, um, very nerve-wracking. It was just the two of us in the theater. She wanted to see it before Brian, which is understandable. Right. Um, and afterwards she was just, com- she was like silent, which is the worst possible <laughs> reaction one could <can> hope for. <laughs> um, and she was honestly stunned. I, I felt that she didn't like it. and. And she honestly said later that, yeah, she had to go away. She drove around for like two hours (laughs) thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And then she started – she saw it again and Mm -hmm. and loosened up. And then people – other people started seeing it and supporting her. But it's got to be hard for anybody to see their life suddenly (laughs) up on screen. And some very tough stuff. But thankfully she – Loves it and Brian was a little more straightforward about it. He was like, you know, that's a great movie or whatever. Um, and but like Paul says, I mean, Brian doesn't really have like a filter. He says right. what he means. Right. And, and so it's
0: really great. And that's gotta be nice. Paul, I think it was in Toronto that you first saw it and and you must have felt a little bit of uh, nerves at that at that screen. Yeah,
3: sure. He was sitting, you know, a seat away and <laughs> and also he's watching some parts of his life that hopefully brought him some joy but uh many parts that that brought him a, a, a lot of <laughs> struggles so <laughs> and he's a sensitive guy so sitting there watching him watch his life uh yeah you, you 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 know um we got backstage after that screening and i love brian he's so like straightforward he's so simple It was just that was a really good movie. <laughs> and he says it like you know, like right. they kind of repeated a Just couple times. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that,
0: that was a really good movie. <laughs> and you're like, okay, right. you know, and That's 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 all I needed to hear. And, and Elizabeth, uh, you know, Melinda, the fact that she's been out there with you guys at Q and As and things, I take that as a sign of approval, stamp of approval, right?
1: Yeah, you know, she she and I had a conversation once where she said that she really feels. She just wants Brian to get as many accolades um, while he's still around to receive them mm-hmm. <laughs> as possible. And um, when we were in Toronto, he they there was a standing ovation at the end of the movie for Brian. I mean, literally mm-hmm. the whole audience turned towards Brian. They had a spotlight on Brian and Melinda who were sitting in the audience. And I just started weeping because, to me, it was like, this is what she was talking about when she and I had that conversation and so if this is one of the accolades if this is a reminder to people of Brian's legacy then I then I know Melinda's happy (laughs) right well I mean for sure it's
0: introduced uh, generations of people that don't wouldn't couldn't tell you who the Beach Boys were or what they did I mean I think music spiked on iTunes right and all of Mm -hmm. that so I think mission accomplished right Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely (laughs) well thank you guys all for coming in and uh Enjoy seeing Brian perform tonight. Woo! Thank you.. Yeah. Nice. Thank
1: you.